Hey guys, it's Nikki and you're listening to The Melanin Millennial. Now, I know, I know, I know, y'all, please don't beat me up. I know it's been uh, quite a while since I have done my, um, The Melanin Millennial podcast, but I'm back. I'm better than ever. I just want to spew out more content for you guys. I'm actually going to be working on next episode right after I'm done. Um, I'm just ready to get this thing on the road and get people listening to my um, get people listening to my page. I mean, get people listening to my podcast. And yeah, so um, I really wanted to do this even before February came, but as you guys know, it is Black History, so happy Black History Month to all my black sisters and brothers, and even the people that are not black, happy Black History Month, I hope you can learn something new from this month, and can we just talk about that every single month is Black History Month, that every single month we can celebrate something that is happening in our culture and between our people, so yes, So today's episode, because I want to jump straight into it, is called The 13th. Now, what I mean by that is basically there is a Netflix documentary that's still on there, I believe, and it's called The 13th, and it was directed, produced, and interviewed by Ava DuVernay. Now, if you do not know who Ava DuVernay is, you must be sitting and living under a rock. Ava DuVernay is an American filmmaker. She has made movies like A Wrinkle in Time, When They See Us, which is the most popular thing. Um, the 13th, of course. Um, what is that show called? Um, Green, I think it's called Greenleaf. Is that, is that what it's called? I'm so sorry if I'm getting it mixed up. But she's done many, many shows alongside, I guess, Tyler Perry and the Oprah Network. So this is a very talented, talented, talented woman. And she's definitely on my list of inspirational people. I just love her work. I love what she does. And the fact that she's using her platform to talk about important issues is just amazing. It's great and it's cool. So I want us to talk about um, the documentary because I feel like, one, it's an important topic. Two, that's all I talk about on this podcast. And three, it's an amazing documentary, so why not? So, um, before I jump into anything and I start talking about my topic points and the, you know, certain things that stuck out to me, well, basically, I literally wrote down everything that was in the documentary. So, before I start all of that, I did want to say and explain, um... I did want to say and explain what the, one second guys, I'm looking at my notes here, So, basically, I wanted to just explain what the 13th Amendment actually says. So, basically, it says that, um, it says, one second, because the freaking, okay, so the 13th Amendment of the United States says that it's, that it, I don't know why it's not giving this to me. 
So it's section one and it says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or place any subject to the jurisdiction. So basically in um, simpler terms, it is basically saying that it is unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave and grants freedom to all Americans except to criminals. So this applies to everybody with the exception of criminals, correct? Okay, so um, while... while i was about to i said read while watching this documentary you really get to see that there's two things that play a major part slavery and mass incarceration or you know people being imprisoned and if you really dig deep behind the whole prison system it is a form of slavery we have prison workers that are making clothes that are bagging things you know making jc penny things making victoria's secret bags like you have people that are literally working working in jail in prison so i basically you know made up this term saying that slavery in prison was just an economic business system um And I feel like when you're talking about this topic, you really have to go back. You have to go back to the Jim Crow laws, you know, a.k.a. well, Black Code, a.k.a. the Jim Crow laws. You really have to go back to the segregation. You really have to go back to, you know, after the Civil War when things were being, you know, rebuilt, reconstruction. And, you know, we have all of these free black people and we don't know where to put them. So we're going to allow them to get jobs. We're going to, you know, allow them to have education. We're going to allow them to vote, but we're going to have restrictions. We're going to make sure that we have these grandfather laws. So if you, if your father, if your grandfather did not register to vote on this and this date, then you can't vote. Um, you know, just a whole bunch of restrictions. And because of this, people are leading to crime. People are leading to selling drugs. People are leading to um, doing minor but obviously bad things, misdemeanor things. And for that, being put in jail for long amounts of time for no reason. Um, so, yeah, after the Civil War, there was a mass incarceration. And basically there is a film that really portrays what was happening between the times of you know slavery just ending and this really starts off with you know the birth of a nation the film birth of birth of a nation which was directed by d w griff griniff and this film was extremely popular because it showed how we we glamorize and we f- and we very much so favored, you know, the KKK, these, you know, violent, vicious um, organizations. We show how they portray the black male in just, you know, every black person in this movie is just portrayed as animal-like, you know, rapists, killers, um, threats to white women. Um... And just really just showing us in a very negative, um, bad light, which is, you know, unfortunately not surprising. So, you know, obviously, 
the KKK, if you really think about it, it really, it resulted and it formed in another form of terrorism. So, and what I mean by this is that there was um, a convention. It was, it's called the National Democratic Convention. Um, it was held in New York in 1924. And from this, there was... 350 delegates that were clansmen and this is 1924 so around this time you know i it wasn't really frowned upon um people weren't you know people were openly clansmen openly a part of the kkk organization so it's very scary for you to know that these are people that are in political power that are clearly telling you we don't want you we don't like you you're not a part of us which is scary so that's when black people started to move to other states you know detroit georgia new york is a big one florida we started moving to these other states to get away from the terrorism to get away from the killing to get away from the lynching to get away from these vicious and horrible acts that were being being um done to us you know having houses get on lit on fire and one thing that i said when i said you know the birth of a nation really glamorized the kkk was that in the film there is a part where um you know the clansmen are getting together and they um have the cross and the cross is on fire and you know correct me if i'm wrong but one of the people excuse me one of the people that were in the film actually said that people that the clansmen didn't even start um you know firing the cross until that was put in into the film and you know that really made me think that it's just like and you know it was a form of a of symbolism you know this is their god-given right to make sure that we bring down the african-americans and we take away the niggers and all of this crazy crazy talk and crazy mindset right so then we go into segregation black code jim crow laws and while this was happening, we had iconic, iconic people, um, not just the regular, not saying that these people are regular, but, you know, the most of people that we hear when we talk about the civil rights movement is Rosa Parks, um, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Nelson Mandela, which are all iconic and amazing people that fought for civil rights, but there's way more, you know, Angela Davis, um, who else can I think of? Angela Davis, um, Lance Hughes, Maya Angelou, like, these are people that have done civil rights activism in every single type of way, whether it was poetry, whether it was music, um whether it it was television like these are people that were fighting for rights but during this time the civil rights movement took flight um along with civil rights activists and they were looked at criminals you know there's photos of rosa parks posing for her you know for her mugshot there's photos of um dr martin luther king sitting in his cell these people were looked as criminals only for fighting just for equal rights um So basically, after some time of us making laws, after some time of us continue to fight, continue to fight, continue to fight, they finally passed a law that all of us are going to be equal and, you know, segregation will be done, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this only caused 
fear of arrest and um you know black americans black people just feared they feared for their life they feared for what was going on riots and fires i mean this this is nothing new um and again crimes was increasing during the civil rights movement people were angry people were mad of these things happening you know why wouldn't you so there was definitely a lot more crime that was happening so then we move into the 1970s and we start seeing mass incarceration why do we see mass incarceration because of the crack and cocaine epidemic that was happening between the 70s and the 90s so um basically you know while nixon was um what is the word i'm looking for while he was running for president and you know promoting his presidency and actually you know became president he had this strategy of you know law and order he always continues to say that we need to have law and order we need to have restrictions we need to have discipline and you know this was really a this was you know a quote-unquote war on drugs dealing with drug addiction and drug dependency as a crime issue rather than a health issue and then this turned into the southern strategy to transition southern democrats into voting republican so you know, it, it was very, I would say, post-Civil War, um, we had more so Democrats that were living in the South. So, but because Nixon was a Republican and he believed that, you know, we need to punish these people that are doing drugs and we need to punish these people that are selling drugs. And he really made a strong transition into making people vote um republicans and um what does it say so because of this um when ronald reagan took presidency and became president in 1982 so what i wrote in my notes was that nixon he took on the approach of we need law and order we need discipline and he took it as a figurative sense of you know we're on drugs and this needs to stop and then when ronald reagan came in that's when it became a literal sense on war on drugs and um he defined it as a massive issue you know this was calling total war on you know we had lots of people such as you know public enemy um what am i talking about so yes so Obviously, this was a big problem, and remember what I said when I said Nixon took, you know, war on drugs and law and order on a figurative sense, and, you know, this turned into calling total total war. We had um, bands and musicians and music, you know, public enemy that were fighting this. We had people that were speaking out, gay rights, women's rights you know the the whole black panther movement this was a serious issue and then that's when ronald reagan came in took it as a literal sense on war and drugs and he defined it as a mass issue um and basically all this quote-unquote war on drugs did it just gave it an excuse to lock up black people and latinos um and helping and saving expanding american business and the entrepreneur classes while allowing the homeless to go without food 
no health care, lack of education, which resulted into poverty. Um, so basically, crack cocaine was obviously marketed in small doses, you know, and the crack was mostly sold in inner city and this became an inner city issue. So, you know, this ended up into mandatory sentencing on crack while cocaine was more relaxed it was more stubborn it um it belonged it was mostly in the suburbs it was more quote-unquote sophisticated more you know caucasians and white people um used it so it, it it wasn't it wasn't an issue it was just powder as one of the speakers in the documentary um say so again Large chunks of men and women um, were during this mass incarceration um, in the 1980s. So basically, the three things that I got away from the whole war on drugs epidemic between, you know, the 1970s and 80s was that it was economic inequality problem. It was a problem of drug abuse, a large problem of drug abuse. And it was the hyper segregation in America in America cities. So those were the three things that I came away from it. So as I said, um, Nixon, he took a rhetorical um, approach to it using the Southern strategy um, was implanted rights after the civil rights movement. He used fear of crime and allowed quote unquote law and order to win the election easily. Um, And then Ronald Reagan took it in a literal source um Reagan Reagan excuse me Reagan promised to um cut taxes to the rich and throw all the crack drug abusers in prison both of which devastated communities of color but were successful in getting the southern vote so that obviously worked well in their favor and then when we move towards 1985 to 1989 we have black men and black people are overrepresented in the news as not as great achievers great accomplishments but as criminals um shown as criminals in media more than they are celebrated and this is when it goes into um yeah just creating this narrative that leads people to be afraid leads even our own black people to be scared there's a lot of um black women you know black mothers that are like i don't want you out at late at night which is understandable we would never want any of our kids to be out late but you know not because we just want our kids to be safe and you know they're just not grown yet to be out all of the night but because we don't want you getting into that mess with those boys when probably all they're gonna do is just hang out at their friend's house or go to the mall or something like that but because during this time you know, young black boys were looked at so violently and so viciously, it became a problem. So then we started to hear this term, quote unquote, super predators. And I wrote a definition on this. The young black men and brown men, fatherless and jobless, animals and beasts and beasts that need to be caged and controlled. So you can see how that's a problem and that literally jumps into the central park um jogger case which is now the exonerated five and we all know about that story we had five young black boys that went out just to have fun 
most of them didn't even know each other and they all end up in handcuffs and being charged with sexual assault and violent rape charges and be being sent to prison to seven to ten years for a crime that they did not commit um while our own communities are believing these narratives are believing all these things that are happening and you know donald trump decided that he wanted to put in the news um of bringing back the death penalty just all these very much so scary scary like these are kids these are kids ranging from 14 to 16 max like this is scary but this is what was being done so you know I feel like what really created the narrative of just, you know, the black man, quote unquote, in America, um, you know, the stereos, the stereotypical black man was Willie Horton. He had kidnapped and raped a young man. I mean, a young woman, excuse me. And when this happened, then we had people like George Bush that won the election by creating fear around black men as criminals and... Um, when it goes back to Willie Horton, just creating, you know, the, the primitive American fear, right? Okay. So then we move into the 1990s and Bill Clinton is president and he, um, he provides the death penalty and unbalance of Democrats and Republicans. He created the three strikes throughout, which is committing if you commit three violent crimes, you are mandated to prison for life. Not 10 years, not, you know, uh, you know, you go to prison in some house probation. No, you are sent to prison for life. Um, and this federal crime bill was passed in 1994. Um, this heavily loaded towards law and law, excuse me, law enforcement, um, so law enforcement definitely increased on the streets and increased fundings to lock up as many people involved in drug crimes. A hundred and a hundred thousand police officers were put on the streets. So because of this act being because of the federal crime bill being passed, these were the three effects that happened because of this. So then we have an exploding prison population. So now we jump all the way to 2014, which is the stand your stand your ground um 